0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Retail Risk Podcast, sponsored by Alltag, and thanks as always to our supporting partners, 3XLogic, Aura, Lodge, and Intrepid. Now, my guest this week is Sean Sloan. Sean is the market development manager for Avery Dennison, and we'll come on to specifically which part of the world that operates in. 20 plus years in retail, predominantly with Coles supermarkets, working across both stores and head office. 13 years also at GS1 Australia where he got his first taste of RFID way back in 2008. I remember those days well. Now, like many other places around the world, though, that initial hype didn't last long, and it took another decade to show some serious vibes here in Australia. Although in 2015, Sean helped set up the RFID Coalition, which was effectively a GS1 working group to really start to drive awareness and adoption of RFID. Early 2020 saw Sean join Avery Dennison, just as the COVID-19 lockdowns hit Melbourne. However, Sean says that steadily saw more and more retailers, big and small, realise the need for that 100% inventory visibility. The Nirvana, Sean, welcome. Thanks very much for having me, Paul. Now, always a pleasure. But before we get into RFID and GS1 and Coles, so come on, young Sean, way back when, short trousers at school, what did you actually want to do? What was the intended career was it always retail was it always technology or was there an olympic dream or something else on the on the horizon
1: oh, i wish there was an olympic dream paul to be honest uh no i did start out fairly young at uh, at a cold supermarket in melbourne um which is at the south end of australia and i was pushing trolleys packing bags uh, doing all those fun things that supermarket workers do um so that was where i started i just kept on with it and then Uh, management came up and said, do you want a career at Coles? And it sounded like a good idea at the time. So uh, 20-something years later, uh, I'd had uh, quite a few stores, management roles, and then I moved into head office just before Y2K, for those who remember that. And uh, in Australia, we also implemented our goods and service tax exactly the same time. So um, fast forward to now, and uh, yes, that's been an interesting career so far.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Y2K. I remember that where we were all paused to see whether Armageddon from a technology perspective happened because you literally were at the forefront because, you know, where, where Australia, Australia was, is in the world, you went first. We were all sat up watching.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, don't forget our poor New Zealand partners just, just a little bit uh, further yeah. to the uh, west, I think it is. So, But, no, you're right. We were fairly early in the piece, and um, everyone was watching. Of course,
0: nothing happened. And, and so – yeah, you know, a very varied career at Coles, uh, like you say, some head office roles, and then you know, just so interested. How did you do you then make the transition out of Coles? What did you decide? Time to look around. Was it the exposure to RFID? What was the? I'm just interested on that on that route to where you are now.
1: It's, it's, it, you know, it was interesting because uh, when I left Coles. Um, it was part of a, a group and was being bought out by was now called West Farmers, which is a even bigger group who bought uh, Coles Myer as it was known at the time. Just to, it just proved to be a time to um, you know, find something else to do. Uh, I was actually in a, a data related role uh, for those who you know, work in the data synchronization um, space. It's about exchanging data in a B2B fashion um and GS1 wanted someone who had retail experience who knew what they were talking about with data synchronization uh, nothing to do with RFID whatsoever and so I spent um you know uh, as I said 13 years or so with GS1 it was fantastic absolutely loved it and um but at that stage I did start to get exposed to RFID very technical as you said Paul in 2000 you know those early 2008 was all about standards it was was pretty um dry at that time because there was nothing there's not a lot to talk about. You'd probably know yourself, Marks and Spencer were the early ones to to jump and, and jump they did. And, and Avery Dennison historically was involved in that implementation way back then, some 15 years ago. So um, then it started to collide in terms of you know what I thought the market was doing in Australia and
0: if I had a role to play in doing that. Yeah, Marks and Spencer. I remember when that case study started; they were like yeah. the first people to have a colour TV when everybody else was on black and white, and it was this like, you know, yeah. great, great future. They were pioneers. Yeah. There's
1: no question they were pioneers, and and for all the retailers that followed, whether it be a Macy's, whether it be a Walmart, um, the list goes on. Everyone kind of followed. What, what did what did uh, Marks and Spencers do? And uh, and those that were involved in that, it's just been a, a long. Um, experience to just just trying to be on in terms of, you know, their development.
0: And then after that sort of time at GS1, and I guess, you know, RFID went from really dry to actually getting quite a sexy subject, didn't it? It was like, you know, it sort of uh, became the buzzword. Um, Did Avery come a knock in? Did you go knocking on the door and think, you know, I I want to get even closer to the cold face? How did that transition come about?
1: Um, Yeah, look... I think um, Avery was certainly searching for someone who understood the market well, um, had been working with Avery in from a GS1 perspective. So I knew who Avery was, and I knew who all of the RFID players are in the Australian market. Um, they had a big gap in terms of you know, what they were looking for, so um, you know they asked, and and I thought, well, that's it's, it's good. It's the right time. Um, I don't know how many RFID development managers have said this year is going to be the year. I, uh, I know quite a few of them. We might end up seeing this go. Yes, 2015, 16, yeah. they are all going to be the year. But um, in all seriousness, I, I, I think COVID has, um, in a as a byproduct, really focused people's attention on where is my inventory, when when am I going to see it, um, how much have I got, uh, and, and these are the problems they all faced in dark stores, um, couldn't access inventory, couldn't move it, um, and yet those that had implemented RFID and, and a good example of this was Lululemon in Australia, they were actually running out of stock. You know, they were still running full stores, just not open to the public, and they had out-stock problems with um, yoga mats, for instance. So it's it was a boon for those who knew what they were doing and for those who didn't it was a real struggle because they were just moving inventory blindly between locations, hoping that they could sell it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the stories of uh, regional managers loading up stock into the back of their cars and moving it around. And then, I mean, some of the inventory results of stores that came out when they opened back up, there was literally millions of dollars missing from one store and others were showing sort of massive surpluses. So correct.
1: And every retailer was effectively forced to do a stock take as soon as um, the uh, closures or the lockdowns, and they were all different in Australia on a state-by-state basis. So uh, in Australia, seven or eight different states, and they were all doing their own thing um, in terms of lockdowns, uh, and some were more severe than others. And so retailers were desperately trying to move stock between states that were badly hit with COVID to states that were still trading yeah. and uh it was it was a real uh tactical logistical task with very little actual knowledge about what they had
0: yeah it's quite the time so look so clearly you're there to sort of develop the market which is you know talk to the retailers but but what is the sort of size and scope of your role at Avery and maybe for, for people that don't know just an overview of the Avery Dennison business it's probably a brand that everybody knows but yeah. You can't often put your finger on exactly what Avery Dennison do. Yeah, it's um, it is a
1: big, big organization, a global uh, Fortune 500 business. It's it just let out its earnings this week, and it's a nine billion dollar business. Um, the RFID portion of that is is significant. Uh, we're part of a um, uh, a retail branding solutions, information solutions division within that nine billion dollar business. And it's, it's a very healthy part of the business. Um, the main part of the business is focusing on labels, um, self-adhesive labels, all sorts of different labelling applications. And we were in healthcare. We also do reflective things for car wraps and police cars and all that sort of interesting fun stuff. But my day-to-day is is dealing in that RFID space, um, specifically retail. And uh, there's plenty of those in Australia. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's always fascinating, isn't it, when you find the, uh, uh, you learn, you know, who produces the uh, the graphics for the for the shiny yeah. police cars or whatever that, uh, yeah, yeah. Sort of diverse
1: yeah. business. Very diverse.
0: So, so you know, you sit down in the morning, open the laptop, the Avery Dennison butler brings you your cup of coffee first thing in the morning. What on earth does your day-to-day look like? What is taking up the bulk of your time? Uh I was thinking about because it's a really good question actually, and uh, I think we're all we're all the same. boat. sometimes
1: we scratch our heads, thinking in the morning, what what's what's today going to bring us? And the reality is, uh, after two and a half years, it feels like nearly three at this stage with Avery Dennison. We've got a lot of existing customers now who, who, who we started off way back when I started, and so they're now in that sort of business as usual. They need some help still. They're beyond project mode, so there's a portion of my day that's uh, just you know, a portion to helping our existing customers, and, that, and that's a uh, that's really important because they need service if they've got some problems. Um, clearly, where you know, my key part of the role is develop the market. Um, it's a long uh, lead time type of project. People have to really mull it over um, at different levels, it's not a bottom-up type project it has to be a top-down type project and um and that is really the, the key part of, of what i do and um whilst i look after australia i also look after new zealand and i look after india um so i've got a, a bit of a broader remit than just australia and um for those who who might not be aware what australia is like that um The market itself is split between uh, two main cities, which are Melbourne and and Sydney. So my time is effectively split between two of the major cities um, in Australia. Thankfully, they're only an hour and a half apart by flight, but uh, it all works in the end, so to speak. So, um, yeah, that's probably a main part of the day. Um, There's always meetings, the internal stuff, but
0: uh, that's just uh, (laughs) what it is. Australia and New Zealand that often get put together as a territory, and then that small retail market of India as well. So uh, yeah, just
1: uh... yeah, it's waking up. Uh, to be honest, um, Avery Dennison has a huge um, uh, presence in India. We've got yeah, two main um, facilities in uh, one in Bangalore and one in uh, Mumbai. Again, huge. We're we're dealing with all the biggest retailers because they've all got production there. Um, but the retailers there that service that country, um, again, because there's you know, low labor cost, um, you know, products are inexpensive. It's just taken a while for RFID to, to really latch on, but um, they're definitely waking up, and they definitely uh, need some some service and guidance.
0: Yeah, I think that'll be. I mean, everybody knows there'll be a huge market as uh, yep. economically it, uh, it strengthens. Then, yeah, yep. RFID will really come into the force. So that'll keep you busy for a few years. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, What sort of? I mean, you know, like you say, "quote unquote," everybody is talking about RFID. But what sort of challenges and projects are clients talking to you about at the moment? I mean, what is the question? You know, Sean, come and talk to me about RFID. Where specifically yeah. does does the interest lie?
1: There's a, look. There's definitely a few challenges, and it will depend on who's asking the questions. In your world. Obviously, you know a loss prevention manager is going to be leading the charge saying oh sure I'm, I'm bleeding loss across the supply chain I'm bleeding loss out of out of stores and that's their focus uh, and that's that's natural for them to be looking at it from that from that lens um, I could be an omnichannel manager or, um, or an online manager whatever you want to call it and I'm trying to implement click and collect uh, but I'm trying to also run it as lean as I can without holding inventory a whole entire store's inventory in a distribution centre. And so the biggest challenge retailers find is how do I leverage all of my inventory from all of my sites in one view? Because if I just put all my stock in the distribution centre and say, guys, pick from that, and that's our online store, like Adidas, um, and there was a a case study a little while ago when they spoke to a number of retailers um, through the GS1 RFID coalition. They said, once we opened up, our stores to the mix, the breadth of sizes, the full rainbow of sizes that was available was probably twice what I can actually show that from a distribution center. So again, it depends on who's asking the questions. Um, a supply chain manager wants to know when is something arriving? Is it arriving in full? Um, can I trust what's coming from our factories? So they all see things from a slightly different lens. And you know, it could be a finance manager who's asking and I, and I deal with a few of them. Is well, how do I, how do I rip costs out of stock doing stock takes? I mean, they're not value adding really, other than a compliance perspective. So it's an expensive exercise. I was talking to a small brand in Sydney who it says it takes two days and it takes thirty people to do a distribution center. So that's a lot of people counting, you know, clothes. Um, and they're not productive sending out stock during that time because it all has to be contained. So, yes, the the questions that people will ask will all be from their own lens, but it's all about solving a, a problem that is dear to their heart and costly to their business.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the stock accuracy is, I mean, that is the nirvana, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there's yeah. so many departments need to know yeah. that to function Correct. at the optimum level. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and yeah. it, it is just, I mean, we've all got stories that are well, you know, click and collect and you get there and the stock's yeah. not there. Or I mean, yeah. then it just, you know, people will talk badly on social media Correct. about Taylor So yeah, it has to be done.
1: And that, and that is, and look, that's happened here in Australia. We've had a couple of major retailers get totally canned on social media um, for you know poor performance and in that sort of space. Um, And look, the other other conversation that is probably becoming more and more prevalent that needs answers is circularity. Um, There was a recent post on LinkedIn coming out of Spain around some major retailers that that banded together to talk about and to try and solve, you know, circularity problems there. Um, Reposting that myself personally, I was amazed at just how much breadth that took. Um, so circularity how to communicate with customers on you know um, brand issues we've got quite a few brands here in Australia that really have a strong sustainability or circularity story to tell so our role as Avery Dennison is how is to provide mechanisms on the media um, for brands to then start talking to consumers as well then and then be able to provide the platform for
0: that yeah, it, I mean, it's it's all of these elements, isn't it, that, you know, customers are expecting retailers to be yeah. able to stand up and be counted about. And, uh, yeah, many yeah. of them just don't have the tools, do they, to to, to step yeah. forward with yeah. confidence. And
1: some of them are getting their hands forced because of the external reporting on um, whether it's modern slavery, whether it's you – know, th- th- there's a long list, uh, sustainability. So they're really having to do something and, and, re- and address – these types of issues. And once they do, how do I tell consumers that I've done it? You know, I, I, I can put a full page ad in the paper, but you know, who's reading that? Um, so I've got to find ways to, and a clever ways to do it that don't cost me a lot, um, but use the resources that I've already created, like, you know, web resources and, and things like that.
0: For every type of business, the power of a data-driven security video management system designed to give you total control anywhere anytime 3x logic can we talk at all about a specific project or something that's going on at the minute I'm just interested we we know the benefits of RFID but come on give us some give us some detail you know what's going in at the minute who's talk about an upgrade and what that's going to bring to a retailer talk about you know, somebody that's put in an RFID solution and what they've seen for that. Can you give us any specifics about about a project that's going on?
1: There's a couple of projects I I think I'm comfortable in speaking about. And um, uh, last week at Retail Risk, we would have spoken to um, Scott Fuller, who's the COO um, of Alchemy Group and uh, previously COO of General Pants Group. Um, And they're taking RFID uh, front on and looking at, How does RFID solve a number of the problems that they have? Um, Now, specifically, Scott will have spoken about um, challenges with online orders. Again, we just spoke about this a minute ago. How does how does click and collect work? Um, How do I improve the customer experience when someone places an order on my store and it gets split between multiple stores? How do I how do I stop that and and how do I um, give the store the information and the tools to find what should be in their store, right? Because we received a, the, an order at a head office level. I've sent it to a specific store. I think they've got the stock and yet for some reason they can't find it and they bounce that order. So general pants have got clear metrics on um, that focus. Um, stock take as well and counting, cycle counting. So they understand the benefits and the things the tasks that RFID can improve um, and they're already starting to see some some solid results around the click and collect piece in the in the pilot store that they're trialing in so um, some real upside there for them um Kukai is also a fairly uh, a public um, case study from an RFID perspective and we've been working with them now and providing their labels for for quite a long time and um they are also you know, a successful deployment and doing really, really well. They're taking it back to right back to the factory uh, and not and, and looking at the additional data that's driven from the factory right through to the store. Um, and they're seeing benefits you know, from each point of the, uh, of the supply chain. So kudos to them in terms of you know, being an early adopter and being able to um, take the information that they're getting, and utilising it to their benefit along the supply chain. Um, so they're definitely seeing uh, benefits on both those different projects. There are so many more that I'd love to talk about. Um, unfortunately, that three-letter acronym called NDA uh, kind of prevents me from doing that. And it's a, it is, a, it's just the nature of, of what we do as, as retailers, as you quite well know, generally like to keep their cards close to the chest until things are, you know, uh, uh, fairly well um, underway if not completed. So, um, But those two projects, again, Scott will have been on the table last week at, at Retail Risk, and, uh, and
0: I'm sure those that listened to him on the day uh, would have got a lot out of that. It's interesting you mentioned um, click and collect there because um, certainly within Europe, I've seen data start to come out from retailers about the percentage of customers that when they go into store to pick up the click and collect, Make yep. an additional purchase, purchase, and it's forty to you know nearly fifty yep. percent in some cases, which yep. is. But you're never going to get that upsell if the product's not there or not delivered on time. You're just going to get a bad experience. Correct. So you're getting Correct. layer upon layer of, of benefit, aren't you? So it is, yeah. You know, click and collect is a is, is, is it's is It's money. very very real, and,
1: uh, and again, I think with many many countries having gone through. You know, lockdowns and and uh, and all those things, retailers have had to flip their fulfilment models significantly. Um, whether it's click and collect, um, curbside pickup, um, buy online, pick, all, all those different things uh, that retailers have had to pivot on. Some retailers in Australia, their online sales during COVID went up to up fifty percent. So they went up to fifty percent of all their sales was online. And that is an astronomical number when you consider um, the scale of some of those retailers. Um, of course, it's normalised now, and people are going back into stores. But that is a big number just to be set, sending out parcels and parcels and parcels. And the other thing that that really no one really talks about a lot is returns. So We all know we've bought two of something and send one back, and and. A retailer that sends out, you know, for me, it could be a size 36 trouser or 38 trouser, giving it away. Um, know that I'm going to send one back. Yeah, it's it's it is what it is. Um, but how do they manage those returns as quickly as possible? Get it back through the supply chain and into a saleable scenario as, as fast as they possibly can. And an RFID is one of the enabling tools to help with that process. So um, it's the back end of, of, of what we see in terms of last mile, because it's it's coming back. But um, it, it is a, a, a big reality for retailers to have to deal with.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, just remind me, you're, you're talking about all of the benefits there. Before we came on air, you and I were just chatting about there'll be a time when nobody's talking about RFID, um, because everybody that's trading successfully will have it and will have to. Just out of interest, is there a, when do you think that will be? how
1: long I'm just gonna have a quick look at my crystal ball it's just on my desk here um yeah. it, it's a tough one because um we're in we're in 2023 um when I look back at 40 years of barcodes that's that's how long it took to get well and there are still some that still do price tags. so yeah. it, it'll be a, it'll be a journey 20 I think 2030 you'll see minimum 60 percent of of all retailers, um, certainly in Australia, but um, will have completed their RFID projects and they're looking at, you know, what's the next big thing. And again, RFID will just be assumed in the same way we assume that every product has a barcode and a unique identifier and and every order is done via B2B or EDI. Um, those things have all just, as, as we said, have, have gone by and we're not necessarily talking about, well, do we barcode or not? It's just assumed that you would because you you need to, Um, and you need a unique number to identify it for RFID anyway. So um, they all complement each other, Um, and as as I said, I I don't think it'll it'll just be a business as usual type stuff in a few years. It
0: it is interesting. I remember uh, when I started my career in supermarkets, and uh, the retailer I was with hadn't adopted barcodes at that time, so a price change was literally on your hands and knees picking the price off 200 tins of baked beans and then reapplying the new price because there was you know it just just wasn't i mean it took huge amounts yeah, that's, of that's that's
1: uh exactly what i used to do
0: yep that's it it was a uh, yeah you used to dread the price changes coming in on a friday morning and every now and again there'd be sort of a a huge absolutely a price change on the uh on the cat food or the dog food leading brand and sort of head in hands moment. But anyway, there you go.
1: On a serious note, though, electronic shelf labels, again, I'm not saying we do, but I can certainly see electronic shelf labels becoming the norm. I saw, um, I was lucky to see it working in an apparel retailer in India. Um, And you can imagine how helpful that is from a, a, a price management perspective, being able to apply prices dynamically and not have to have someone do what we used to do when we were young and peel off prices off products. Um, yeah, so but I see knows, that being...
0: Who knows, maybe we'll, uh, we'll one day get dynamic uh, load pricing on uh, uh, in, in retail as we do with the airline industry. So uh, you know, cheaper Shit. at certain parts of the day, more expensive at peak times. It's been challenged in the courts in, uh, in Europe, whether it's legal yeah. or not. So uh, there's certain yeah. people looking at it. So look, all that is absolutely amazing. We're at the start of 2023. What does the rest of the year look like for you, other than RFID domination across those markets? Anything new coming online? What what's what's on the horizon for you?
1: There's there's heaps coming. Um the sort of things I, I see mature retailers or mature RFID users starting to look at is how do they, how do they leverage that investment even further? What other options do they have in terms of tagging that might link to say loss prevention and an example of that would be um, an integrated uh, sew-in label to the point it's invisible to the um, to the purchaser. Um, that's a very real um, just on the horizon for, for major retailers situation and so I see 2023 20, and beyond more retailers looking at um, so in labels, so that's definitely number one. Um, number two is how do I aggregate all of this data? And and retailers will be swimming in data. So if nothing else, RFID will give you a data lake pretty quick um, because every product you make has a, a number that needs to be tracked, managed and, and stuff like that, whereas in the old days, we we just deal with you know a, a SKU number and we could have, 50,000, you know, um, size six mini black dresses. Um, But now we've got 50,000 unique size six mini black dresses and they all need to be managed and moved through the supply chain. So Avery Dennison has been working for a couple of years on a product um, to aggregate that information and and pull it all together so that um, retailers can make sense of either carbon footprint analysis, sustainability information, um, connecting to the consumer, so there's a big piece there on, on digital unique um, digital identification and and pulling it all together you know, in a uh, in a platform. So that's definitely not it's not even on the horizon. It's it's here today. It's 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 definitely being uh, there's heaps of people utilising it. Um, good example of that is is Adidas. So Adidas are using uh, our platform. It's called AppMare, and they're um, they're using it so that when people want to resell product their old adidas shoes they can actually bring it to adidas and then adidas can use the uh unique identifier to determine a is it authentic and b how old is it and if it's not authentic what price do i give them if it's authentic here's an authentic price so um very interesting use case of of a platform it's it's huge so i can certainly see those two things in the apparel space or in retail in general being very relevant i think from this point on we'll see as a industry in australia far more retailers who are not apparel getting their head into or getting their toes into um rfid and what it can deliver Uh, we're already seeing that with in the food space and we'll see more of that um and we'll see more of it in non-apparel retail as well. Um, so I, th- I think, okay, so we all started apparel. We all understood that. We know what Walmart's doing. So we know that Walmart's you know, the elephant in the room in terms of um, direction for the industry. And they've made a clear statement that everything in their stores needs to be tagged. Um, a, a perfect example of that in Australia or globally is Decathlon. Yep. So they're tagging everything. It makes no sense to leave one category, and even if it's food, or bottles of water off the list because, you know, their processes are all RFID-driven. Um, so there's definitely bigger scope for, um, for the vendors in, in, the, in the ecosystem, and there will be more and more uh, of that happening.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really, really exciting time, isn't it? And, uh, mm. yeah, as a consumer, when you return a product or change a product or buy a product, yep. and you realise that the retailer's invested in that infrastructure, you know, I know what's going on, and I still get that Ooh, moment. You know, when they they yeah, can identify yeah. that unique item, and it works. Yeah. And sometimes you, the moment you drop the product off with a courier as well, they then align that so that the refund yeah. comes back instantly. And you just you can be impressed when the technology works. Correct, and
1: and when it works, it's, it's great. And just going back to the general pants story, you know, every retailer understands the concept of having buffers online. You know, and we we need to have extra stock. Um, so that we never run out, and we never uh, upset the customer in terms of their experience. Um, but by removing those buffers and trusting the inventory count, you you run a leaner organization from an inventory perspective, and you save yourself a lot of cash by doing so. So there's a very real, uh, a very real uh, payback there in terms of um, needing less inventory to sell the same amount of stock.
0: Actually, just very quickly reminds me there, in the same era as peeling the the tags off every single supermarket used to carry four weeks of stock in its own warehouse just because yeah. there was no visibility on on what we've got so Correct. times that by hundreds of stores plus the warehouse yeah. as well goodness me no wonder cash flow was always tight because there was millions yeah. tied up uh, there Sorry. so uh, retail's had a you know a bit of a tough time over the sort of covid period there's been some changes How do you see the future of retail? I mean, you're a retailer at heart. Are you excited for the future? You know, how are Avery Dennison going to be able to serve those requirements? Are you excited for Avery? Uh, You know, just peer down at that crystal ball again. What's the future of
1: retail? Definitely excited about what's happening in retail, fundamentally, because there is, as you said before, there's, there's a raft of projects hitting every you know, um, chief technology officer, chief financial officer, they're going, okay, so what do we choose from? Do we choose from people counting? Do we choose from, uh, you know, addressing organised crime, internal theft? We choose those sort of things. What is it we need to really focus on to to make our business successful and not go under the hammer in terms of um, failing? Um, and we saw plenty of that during COVID. Can't tell you how many doors shut, as we all know, uh, during that COVID period. So. I think retail is healthy. I think bricks and mortar is healthy. Um, I think retailers, are. we all saw these stories come out uh, during and, and after COVID around experience. If it's a bland experience, consumers probably won't be too uh, thrilled about what's going on in that particular store. But if it's interesting and it can hold people's attention, um, whether that be offline, online or in-store, then a retailer's got every chance to create some loyalty. In terms of of where Avery Dennison sits, um, we continue to acquire companies, um, seems to be on a fairly regular basis, which fill niches that add value to our total organisation. And um, we acquired SmartTrack, I think, just before uh, COVID or around the start of COVID, uh, Vescom, There's been a few really interesting. Text Trace was another one that have added an amazing um, capacity uh, to to what we currently have. Um, so the organisation is healthy. Um, yes, it's, we were going through challenging points uh, in in a you know over a 12 month period, and that's normal. I don't think anyone uh, would say, "Geez, the economies of the world are really healthy at the moment." um because unfortunately the papers keep talking about recessions but um healthy organization and working well to service the customers that we have the good thing is we are very well uh, vertically integrated organization and we can sweep and we can swap capacity around the world as needed so during covid we we're able to manage you know, a lot of
0: that as well yeah certainly uh, exciting times um sean absolute pleasure to to catch up thank you for giving us a Run through of the world of RFID. I think uh, I think it's going to be, you know, top one, two, or three uh, topics on uh, CTOs yeah. for a few years to come. Yet, so that will no doubt keep you super busy. But for now, Sean, thank you very, very much indeed, and look forward to catching up with you again soon.
1: It's great to see you in uh, Sydney, Paul. Thanks
0: for having All us right. on. All right, thanks, now.